Welcome to Pitch It, the fintech startups podcast. One founder, one startup, one investor at a time. I'm your host, Todd Anderson, Chief Content Officer, Fintech Nexus. On episode 65, I talk with Archie Ravishanker, founder and CEO of Cogni. Cogni is a next-gen platform that brings banking, commerce, and lifestyle together. Cogni's mission is to offer personalized banking products suited to the lifestyles of those 18 to 35. Too many banking products today talk with a single voice for all their customers. Cogni is aiming to change that dynamic. Archie and I discuss how he's building a financial platform suited for people's lifestyles, why he thinks it's now more attractive to build on Web3 than Web2, and his vision for the company and advice for young entrepreneurs just getting started. We also touch on bank partnerships, reducing carbon footprints, FDIC insurance, raising capital, and much, much more. Without further ado, I present Archie Ravishanker, founder and CEO of Cogni. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Welcome to the podcast, Archie. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm well. So uh, I like to start these things. If you could just tell me, tell the audience a little bit about yourself. You know, where have you been professionally before your current venture? Yeah, so I work for a family office investing in tech and real estate. Uh, grew up in Australia, moved to the US about three and a half years ago to start Cogni. We graduated from Barclays Tech Stars, and we recently closed our Series A. That is where we are at the moment. One of our co-founders is also Australian, Peter. So we have a, an Australian connection at our company as well. In terms of becoming a founder, did you always see yourself eventually getting to the point of starting your own company or did you find this issue in the market that you wanted to solve and kind of fell into all right no one else is doing it you know let me and my co-founders do it i think it's a combination of both right the first combination is that i want to be independent i want to have creative ownership on what i wanted to do and the second thing is is there a need in society that where you could take your passion and see if you can execute on that need. So it's a combination of both. So for me, when I started Cogni, I wanted to build a banking platform that resonated with me growing up. It was just not a bank account that I hold in deposits and use my debit card to swipe, but how could it be a lot more relevant to the needs of my my time? The sense that I travel a lot, you know, I like to experience new things, but I'm not buying a mortgage. I'm not, you know, using any of the financial products I'm living hand to mouth growing up. How can I build a platform that's a lot more lifestyle focused, but still provide the basic banking services? So that's how the whole idea of Cogni started. And when I found the need uh, that I could actually make an impact and it's, it's possible to make an impact, that's when I jumped on it. Before jumping into a bit more about Cogni, where did, uh, I always like to ask, where did the name come from? The Cogni, I found that moving away from an information age to a knowledge-based age, Right, the internet age has been information. We Google everything and we get information and everyone's overloaded with information. 
And I think that we're moving away from an information age to a cognitive age where knowledge is wealth. You read the whole newspaper, that's information. But if you can condense all that information to something that is relevant to your personal needs or a stock market insight in two lines, that's knowledge. So I felt that we're moving towards that space. And that's how Cogni as a name came up for our cognitive era. You mentioned a little bit about who you guys are focused on, exactly who's the target customer and what's the today, what are the the range of services that you guys offer? So our target customers are within the age group of 18 to 35, but you know, we really want to cater for them. The reason why we want to cater for them is they are at that particular age, you know, you are looking at more lifestyle experiences, you're looking at where you can optimize your budget, where you can get maximum value for your dollar spent. Uh, you're looking at good deals. Uh, at the same time, you're looking at a good access points to events, etc. That's the target market, and that's the specificity on which the platform has been built on. As far as to where we are right now to do all that stuff that we talked about, the baseline has to be strong. So it comes from the bank, being a banking platform. So that's what we launched. And a few two other functionalities that we launched along with the banking platform is more like carbon emissions. Carbon emissions is, is a very important, you know, the Earth's temperature has been going, is looking to go up by, you know, a few degrees in the next 10 years. And if there's something that we could do that could, you know, for banking platform side, if we could enable consumers to know what the carbon emissions on every single transaction is going to be. So we built that functionality as well. So Cogni became the first platform where you can actually look at carbon emissions on every single transaction that that you make. Our, our goal is not to... Um, direct them into a certain area, but to give them information so they, they can make informed decisions. The other functionality that we launched was digital gift cards. You know, we spend a lot of money on, you know, we always like a good deal. So we partnered with over a thousand brands where we can give anywhere between six to 12% on gift cards from Saks to Southwest Airlines to Delta. And you could actually send that gift card to anyone who doesn't even have a company account. And it goes into your Apple wallet straight away. So we built those two functionalities. We built the basic personal financial tool. We built a single use cards because this was a personal pain point for me because I used to try all these subscriptions and before you know it, you get charged for it. Yep. So we we built that functionality out as well. And what we're really excited about right now is, I mean, blockchain has been evolving for a, uh, some time and in, in the last year, when I was attending NFT New York, I saw that a mainstream audience were getting involved in it. And obviously that was happening through NFTs. And I felt, hey, this is a great lifestyle opportunity that people want to get involved and they're excited about. And how could we provide that services on a digital banking ecosystem? So we started really uh, working towards that. So we're using the basic banking as a, as a platform. And then we're building additional services that really resonates with people's lifestyles. And in terms of the user, are there fees with any of the services? You know, how do you guys make money? Is it on interchange? You know, if I'm a user, do I have to worry about costs like that in terms of subscription fees or, or cost to open up accounts? No, we are our basic bank account is hundred percent free. You have access to fifty-five thousand free ATMs. You can, you know, deposit checks, you could deposit cash in one of our cash locations across the United States. You know, we also launched in Puerto Rico as well because we felt a lot of cross-border transaction was happening. So you can use Cogni to Cogni Pay. So it's free to use, easy to onboard, less than two minutes to get a bank account and a debit card sent to you. We're also working on functionalities that are a little bit more premium in nature that allows you to build credit, look at your credit score as well. 
So by end of next month, you know, when you get a bank account, you also get a non-custodial wallet attached to your bank account. So you don't have to download multiple wallets and try to figure out how you're going to move money from your bank account to your wallet and vice versa. So our goal is to give a wallet to everyone, non-custodial wallet to everyone that gets a bank account with Cogni. Is there a, a concern with the focus on 18 to 35 that a user will eventually age out? You know, when they get to a certain, you know, maybe it's time. All right. I'm doing less traveling. I have a stable job wherever I might live. I've started a family and the lifestyle aspects of what you guys have built might not apply as much as say when they were a bit younger. So 100% true. Your needs uh, change very drastically, but you might not be spending as much or you might not be traveling as much, but your lifestyle is a part of you. The way you live your life is part of you, right? So we're not we're not saying today that we're going to be building mortgages and stuff, but you still like to go and get good deals. You still like to have access to certain stuff. So those premium functionalities will come in play where you, know, you would still be able to access those lifestyle services. And that is a niche area that we want to really focus on. It's like using Paytm in India or Kakao while it started as a, a messaging tool, but Kakao is also a payment application in Korea where, you know, you still use them for your lifestyle services. You don't buy mortgages out of Kakao or Paytm, but you still yeah. use them to do other things. That's true. That's true. You mentioned blockchain and, you know, obviously the non-custodial wallet. There's clearly been a, a huge shift the last few years in the, the crypto Web3 space. In your estimation, where do you think the technology is today? And are there certain impediments as to where it is today that might impact how quickly it's adopted more widely, either by TradFi or traditional fintech? You know, in the last six, seven years, you know, it started as uh, people just really working on infrastructure and a blockchain. And now in the six years or so, we have seen, especially in the last three years, we have seen a lot of consumer adoption happening, like play to pay, you know, games. NFTs, collectibles, etc. has become a lot more mainstream. It's because the blockchains have become a lot more cheaper. And obviously, we are talking about metaverse. Obviously, for metaverse, you need a good VR goggle and a lot mm-hmm. of innovation happening in that space. It's about an entire ecosystem that surrounds with the blockchain concept. And as blockchain as a layer one gets cheaper and cheaper, uh, other auxiliary services are being built on top of it to make sure that from a consumer perspective that you're creating new business models you're creating a much larger digital experience. And then you can access or experience things that is outside of your physical world as you're starting to spend a lot more time with the digital ecosystem. So this is a completely evolving ecosystem, but that fundamental concept is very, very interesting. The whole fact that you could be a creator and you could actually maximize your benefit as a creator. Do you think that, and I always wonder this when talking to those that are building or connected to Web3, building in Web3, the ultimate end consumer, those that maybe aren't crypto enthusiasts or aren't living and breathing in fintech today like you and I are, do you think they ultimately care if banking and financial services are built on the blockchain versus the spaghetti that it's built on today? I think they'll care if, if it's cheaper, but does it matter that much to the end consumer? No, it does not matter to the end consumer, right? We need to make sure that the experience is simple. Do people, you know, whether you had a touch pad on your phone or whether you're not using touchscreen on an iPhone, people are just able to use it. Yeah. The, the technology is more as a utility layer that can enable people's life 
then people are worried about the technology itself. So if this can give new business models that they could actually benefit from, opens up a new business opportunity for them personally, yes, they'd be interested. The second thing is its speed, convenience, and usability. So those are the three things that even at Cogni that we are really focused on is that, okay, we need to go get a, get a wallet, right? So it takes so much time, so much effort to read, understand, comprehend all these jargons. But you know, when you're getting a bank account and if you can give a non-custodial wallet attached to a bank account, great. There is some kind of an educational layer that has to happen between custodial and what is non-custodial. I think in the last few months, we have seen a couple of you know exchanges and uh, Web3 companies go down without having to name ones who have been using custodial wallets. And they were able to use the custodial wallets and, and take the tokens and, and use it for investments and, and leveraging without consent of the consumer who actually owns them. So the only educational part would be that in a non-custodial wallet that you tend to own the tokens and as a financial platform that we will not be able to access that and you have full authority on how you are going to do that. So there's an educational component to it, but besides that, the usability of it, I get a free wallet and you know uh, you have some tokens already on there, then it makes it a lot more easier. So that's how we see this whole ecosystem evolving. Then the technology is an underlying layer that you know people in fintech really care about. But from a user perspective, it's about the usability and how simple can it be. And if there's a new business model that they could use that they can benefit from. I see that on your website and doing a little research for this episode that you work with Community uh, Federal Savings Bank. Was there any reticence on their part with the crypto web three connection that you guys have. I'm always curious to understand kind of how TradFi and traditional banks are thinking of the space. And I don't know if they had any reticence in working with you because of that. I mean it's it's a steep learning curve for everybody as well. It's it's an educational component. And and CFSB has to, you know, they are a regulated entity. And we have a fiduciary responsibility to make sure that, you know, we update them and communicate with them what this product is and how it's going to affect the consumers because fundamentally the deposits are being held with CFSB. And so for us, we've been communicating with them to see how this product is going to work and, and whether the customer funds are safe and they're having full understanding as to what they're getting into. So it is an evolving process. So it's it's a continuous discussion and, and how consumers are going to be using the product. So from our st- side, we have taken a lot of you know compliant steps and uh, not from a disclosure standpoint, but also in making sure that the customer's data and, and the funds are protected. In its format. I mean, if you're going to be a custodial wallet, then you have to go through a lot more regulatory yeah. thing. If you're non-custodial, well, you know, obviously the two FA is very important, right? We are we're also putting in place that you know when you make a transaction, there is a, another form of authorization that has to go through before you can send your tokens uh, to someone else. You know, speaking of wallets, and and you mentioned obviously the FDIC insurance with your bank partner. Do you think? Sometime in the future, FDIC insurance becomes less of a deal breaker for consumers as they begin to adopt some of these various wallets and have an understanding of maybe how the different wallets work and FDIC insurance works. And and they begin to get more into the nomenclature of what Web3 and crypto and and they can own and, and control themselves. Do you think FDIC insurance becomes as important today as it has always been in the next few years? See, everyone likes an insurance. They always like to be you know, having some insurance, some kind of a backfall. And that's how 
human tendency works. And I feel that having an FDIC insurance in place for banks is it being relevant. I think it is 100% relevant because there's a check and balance, you know, as much as I'm a big believer of free markets and open innovation, but there should be checks and balances when it comes to consumer dollars because the consumers are not always all the time, you know, up to date on what is really happening. Because in a country where a lot of people have, you know, make less salary, they trust their banks. Do they love the banks? I mean, that's another conversation altogether. Do they trust <laughs> the banks? Yes, they trust the banks. Why do they trust the banks? Because it's FDIC. Because they trust the government. So that trust factor is a very important component. And I think that FDIC should be here to stay. And I think it is a, it is a bit of a comfort level. Since you've launched Cogni, what's been the biggest lesson that you've learned about your own company? I mean, when we were first starting up as a digital bank, I mean, we, we launched during COVID and we, we went through a bit of up and down during that period. So the most important thing for us during that point of time was, you know, to survive through the space. Mm-hmm. And we had to kind of like move some of our plans uh, down the track. Because when you're first starting up, your goal is to, you know, have enough cash to go raise your Series A. But then you have to kind of like figure out how you're going to build or raise and those kind of stuff were a thing. The second thing that is for our personally within ourselves, but one thing that we really focused on is phenomenal customer service. You know, we built our customer service from ground up, which is based in Long Island. We have a very solid team that is running it. That's where I live in Long Island. Yep. <laughs> gotcha. And we didn't outsource our customer service. We wanted to bring it in-house and we wanted to see how is that we could really service our consumers, whether are we going to look at when we even we launch crypto. Crypto doesn't have really good customer service right now. Yeah. And we are working with the team to see how we could address some of those concerns as well. And also any kind of a lifestyle services that we offer in the future. So the customer service will evolve into a community ecosystem plus a concierge kind of a service. So that's my vision uh, for customer service. Customers need somebody to talk to always sending a ticket up or, or sending a message and waiting for it. They like a reassurance voice that, hey, I got you. So that has fundamentally been very important to us and to me personally to be focused on uh, those things. The best piece of advice you received, either from a fellow team member, investor? Fellow team members always, um, you know, when you're growing as a startup, you're focused on raising capital, you're focused on launching the next product and, and all that hustles. But sometimes as a founder, you sometimes need to tell the team how much you care about them and how much you value their work. You know, as a founder, that is something I've always, you know, when you go, 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 you expect everybody to know every, everything is going great. So yeah. that, that communication is very important, even though, you know, as a founder, you might realize that everything is okay. Things cannot be okay. And everyone has their own requirements. So as a founder, that was uh, something that I learned. It's still everything is a learning process as an entrepreneur, right? So that is one. And from my investors, it's always been like, don't die, survive. <laughs> Eventually, the macros will change to benefit you. Many times, founders give up very quickly. Some people don't, and they survive to tell a good story of yeah. a great business they built. And you know, macro always changes. And the most important thing with the macro is you just have to survive and the macro will just come and benefit you and situations will happen that, that benefits your business. And firsthand, we have seen that with Cogni and, and that's been very helpful. And it was an advice given to, given to me by a lot of my investors. 
tell us a, a little bit more about the team. You know, how many people are on the team, types of people around you, who are helping you build Cognite today? When we started as a seed company, when I moved to the U.S., the team was reasonably very new. Some of them stayed behind. Uh, some of them uh, moved to different companies. But where we are right now today, we have uh, brought in some really good, talented people uh, like our VP of Finance, who came from Morgan Stanley, who had taken a couple of companies public. This experience was very, very important as we set out a very strong financial you know, infrastructure in place, uh, accountability financial process within the business as we are a series A company and moving, looking at going to a series B very soon. But a very strong engineering hired my VP of engineering. So there he came in during our COVID time and helped stabilize the business and, and build that infrastructure that can look at scale. So having a very strong relationship with our leadership team is very, very important. We also brought in recently our new head of Web3, Simon Grenfeld. He joined us about a few months ago. I'm very excited to work with him that you know, he's not only passionate about the Web3, he also understands compliance and the regulatory component to it. They brought a new general counsel from Fenwick, which is really helpful for us right now as we're trying to maneuver into some of those compliance spaces as well. And obviously some of my customer service team who have taken the recent leadership role within our customer service. So it's overall surrounded myself with really good people with really good talent. And as the company evolves, the scope of work that they have to do and the experience that they have is, is also going to be important. So we always kept the highest role as you know a lead or a VP, then a, a C title. So that's how it's been. You mentioned uh, the seed, seed capital, the outside investment that you've received so far. You mentioned going from a Series A to Series B. How was the fundraising process? What did you learn about yourself, the company in that process? How was the investor appetite for what you guys are building? Seed is different from Series A to Series B. Seed, and to some extent, Series A is totally dependent on who you are as a founder. Mm-hmm. Investment money is coming into you. And, and then from a Series B point of view, it's always data. In numbers, it's going to determine how and at what valuation you're going to raise your Series B. And also the execution component that comes with it, right? As founders, you know you have you do have lofty goals and you should have very lofty goals. It also has to combine yourself with some element of execution and some level of data that kind of like matches that and you triage between those things. And obviously the macro market opportunity that exists. So for me, it has always been going that through that process has been very interesting because seed investors have different requirements from a series A investor to a strategic investor who comes in because as a business, you could provide a lot more value to them. Mm-hmm. And always, we always picked up investors who are going to be a lot more relevant to us, who are going to be helpful helpful to us, and that we have an access to as well. And all our investors have been great so far. In terms of if another founder found this episode and you know listened to it, what would be one piece of advice that you'd offer them if they were just starting their company? Well, one piece of advice is you know being an entrepreneur and being a CEO is two different things. You are an entrepreneur. You are hustling. You're trying to build a company. You're trying to sell your vision. You're a salesman at start because you don't have numbers to prove your thesis. And being a CEO is an entirely different thing. Being a CEO is managing people, having a much stronger discipline, focus, execution. So know your strengths and weaknesses and complement your weaknesses with the leadership team that could add much significant value. That is the advice that I would give. Yeah, obviously each company is different, but for you guys, where do you felt it started to change where it goes from, you know, hustle 
founders to, all right, I need to hire some professional people. You mentioned the Morgan Stanley and some others. It, it obviously, it hits a point where it's like, all right, we need to make some certain key hires that make us look like a more professional put together executive team versus two or three founders really, really hustling. I mean, domain knowledge is important for anyone. That's that's no compromise there. But for example, you know, you might have your starting up, you might have your sister as your accountant to help with the books. But then when you move to a series A, when you have to go through audits and you know, financial modeling, and you, you need to be thinking ahead and saying, okay, this is the time that I got to transition to somebody that has a lot of experience who can help my grow the business. And now there's a trade-off between cost and cost, both whether monetary-wise or securities-wise. You'll have to triage that and figure out what's relevant for you. And, and for us, it was always a combination of cash in your bank, people with passion, and people who believe in your passion. So it's a triage work between that. Uh, I mean, during the whole course of time, I, I can tell you that I've not always been 100% successful in triaging very well, but sometimes I've always done well sometimes I haven't done very well yeah so it's just a learning process it's the skills that you learn that you don't have to go to MBA for <laughs> so we have just a, a couple of minutes left so I'd like to end uh, these episodes a little bit lighter do you have a favorite book and the last book that you read I mean I've been reading a lot of magazines lately I've been reading a lot of reading a lot of books on metaverse and and how things could evolve in the metaverse. But one book that really resonated with me was Principles from Ray Dalio. I keep rereading that again and again because I really enjoy the way that Ray talks about how do you add value to society and how how can you make an impact to society and how can you do well by solving problems in society and what are the principles that help you get there. So that's been, I love reading the book again and again. So I read it again <laughs> two months ago. So it's one of my favorite books. As a founder, obviously you're you're very busy. What do you do to to step away and kind of unwind and and shut your brain off for a little bit? Because Cogni, I'm really focused on a lot on the lifestyle services of the ecosystem, not mm-hmm. just pure bank accounts. So I I distract myself by you know trying to engage a little bit more on and what's happening in that space, trying to experience new things, whether it's going to be with NFTs or some of the new technologies that is coming in metaverse. It's always been very exciting for me. I also like space, been like, you know, making friends with a lot of people who have been involved in, in, in space, whether we see funds or, or founders who have been innovating in space. So that gives me a bit of a downtime. And I'm going to Burning Man for the first time after six there years people have been should go. So that's, that's a bit of a downtime for me uh, this year, which I'm very excited about. Do you watch sports? Do you have a favorite team or teams that you root for? I mean, I was born in India. I grew up in Australia. So uh, I like cricket. I like rugby. That's a good fair sport of mine. In the US, when I first moved to New York, lived there, I started liking all of my New York teams, the Yankees. You know, you see a lot of Yankee hats in my office. There are some Mets hats too. Okay. Uh, just making sure you, you got the Mets represented because I'm a Mets fan. Yeah. Yeah. They weren't <laughs> just, you know, it's, it's like myself and a couple of my leadership guys, we always wear the Yankees hat and we had some of those new hires. They really made sure that they wear the Mets hat at the office. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, it's, it's, I think, I think sports can bring a lot of uh, people together. It's, it's kind of it's good for team building. So I really like that baseball themed office uh, at Cogme. And we have this is this fun banter back and forth. So I'm really excited about it. We also like playing chess within our okay. office. 
So we want to make it uh, much more of a, a tradition in Cogni. So, you know, it was started by my head of Web3 and I like playing chess as well. So that's another, I wouldn't say it as a sport, it's a, bit of a, it's a fun, challenging experience. But it certainly plays into the cognitive angle, for sure. 100%, yeah. Do you have a, a favorite vacation spot? Since I've been here in the United States, my I feel my vacation is now going back to Australia on the Gold Coast where I'm from. Uh, but other places, I like culture. I like anthropology. It always, I was always been very passionate about anthropology. So for me, a vacation spot has always been you know places with deep culture and people. I think some of the places that I really like going is be Dublin. I like Irish people a lot. Uh, I love the Irish culture of you know you know you go to a bar and nobody knows anybody. You come out making friends with everybody. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I like Korea. I like Seoul because they've had a huge impact in the culture globally. You don't have to speak Korean. Things with K-pop or technology and the history of the Koreans has been like, I've been very passionate about that and I love going to Seoul all the time. And I like going to Budapest as well. And then final question, biggest inspiration in life? My biggest inspiration in life, I think all entrepreneurs have been a great inspiration for me. Uh, whether it's Elon Musk or or Steve Jobs, I'm talking about innovators in my era that I can who I can hold up. This is I'm talking about not their personal opinions or beliefs or anything like that, but purely role model as an entrepreneur that you can overcome all adversities that you have and you believe in your passion and then you can be successful, right? So this is very much focused on you know their ability to overcome odds and their ability to fight adverse situations, believe and execute when when a lot of people didn't believe in their vision and stuff. So they all are my inspirations. And, and I think uh, all entrepreneurs listening to their war stories, they've always inspired me to do better. What would somebody do if they were in my place? You know, it gives you the strength because it's very, very lonely at the top. And the biggest inspiration yep. that you can get is from reading their stories and, and, and that kind of like inspires you to do better. Well, Archie, I, I appreciate you coming on the show and giving me a, a few minutes of your time. If someone wanted to reach out, not only to you, but find Cogni, where can they find you? Where can they reach out? My Twitter is Arch, R-B-A-R-C-H-R-I-B. And my email is Archie at getcogni.com. We'll respond to that. So yeah, I'd be happy to learn more. Uh, and you know, we are hiring. And if there are good talent across you know, product engineering, you know, design, we'd be always happy to have a chat with them. And uh, if they want to just have a chat, is there any way that I could help or assist or provide any feedback? I'll be happy to do that as well. So those two ways are the best way to reach me. All right. Well, thank you very much for, for coming on the show. Continued success to you and the team. And hopefully we'll get you back sometime in the future. Thanks, mate. I appreciate your time, Todd. You have a good day. Thanks. You too. Thank you for listening to the latest episode of Pitch It, the fintech startups podcast. I encourage you to take a few minutes to write a review or rate the episode. Both ratings and reviews help us to improve the show for future episodes. If you're interested in learning more or would like to be considered for a future episode, please reach out anytime. My email is Todd, T-O-D-D, at fintechnexus.com. And until next time.